In this new conversation series, Tea Time, Hudson Gardner and myself, Morgan Coolis, organically explore what we are encountering, learning, and discovering in our lives. In this episode, we ruminate on what healing means to us, from balance to embodiment to crossing barbed wire fences. This is a natural dialogue between newfound friends on why it matters to tune into the body's innate intelligence. Geography, a poem by Jared K. Anderson. You are a flesh and bone animal, a landscape of biological wonders, hosting a billion unique memories like a nation of phantoms. We can be measured, but never mapped. Our minds are half window and half mirror. I will never be wise enough to know when I'm looking out or when I'm looking in. Morning, Hudson. Good morning. Where are you right now? I am in Portland, Oregon. Um, sitting in my friend's house and just kind of uh, reflecting on some of these questions that you sent me. And um, the first, I think the first topic or something we were maybe going to talk about today was where we are right now and something we're noticing about it. I guess maybe, maybe we could start with an intro about this conversation format you know, like what we're hoping to do. Yeah. Go for it. Yeah. Well, I think that, well, yeah. So for people who don't know me, I'm, um, a writer and artist and, uh, I've been living in different places for the last eight or nine years across the country, the U S, um, kind of trying to understand myself and, what home means and where I fit in and what will be meaningful for me long-term. And uh, so, yeah, that's kind of where I am. And I still don't have all the answers <laughs> or very many answers at all, but um, yeah. And so we came together to like, I think that you and I have some similar perspectives on life and uh, directionality and stuff and thought it'd be fun to just have conversations about um, whatever we're currently considering. I'm studying Chinese medicine. You're, a, you're many things, including a yoga teacher, herbalist, artist, dance choreographer, et cetera. So, yeah. Yeah. Well, what I love um, about your podcast, Walking Around, Mm -hmm. is that you take the complete opposite approach to me, (laughs) which is (laughs) to be completely in the moment and just let things roll. And I tend to, like with any kind of sonic meditation I share, I write everything out. It's very, it's edited. It's like, very um almost crafted and so i i guess i was inspired 
by you to have these conversations in a more organic way, which is a little bit um, out of my comfort zone, but good, I think. Um, Yeah. Yeah. What are you noticing about Portland? Anything this time around being there, like as a place? Um, yeah, it's hot. It's, um, just, it's actually the first day of autumn a couple of days ago by the Chinese seasonal node calendar. Um, the beginning of the autumn seasonal node. Um, yeah. So the first five days of it are called Liang Fen Ji or Jir. Um, and so I'm kind of noticing this kind of the dynamics between heat and cold right now. You can kind of sense that there's a lot of heat still in the system, but also that the heat is kind of leaving in a subtle way. Um, and just yesterday I went for a walk through town and I kind of just observed people. I'm in this Northern part of town called St. John's, which is kind of a community that used to be a different place that got annexed by Portland. And so it's kind of connected now, but it has a different feeling than the rest of town. And um, I just noticed, you know, all the different interactions people have and like different people out and about. And since I live in a super rural County, I don't really see that many people. Um, But so being in town, like I see all these interactions and how people live in cities and all those different things. And, just yesterday, I guess the most significant thing that happened, which isn't really that interesting of a story actually, is I was walking along the street and I saw a bus coming toward me. The bus pulled over and the driver was just taking a breather for a second, but I think he was also like making sure I didn't want to get on the bus. And he like kind of rubbed his face and did some like personal gua sha. on his face and i could tell that he was doing it not intentionally but because he was tired and it was like you know a hot day and um and then he looked up at me right as i went by the door and i looked at him and um he he made the contact of like do you want to get on and i was like no and i just waved at him just to thank him you know and it, it, it might sound silly but i was like I really liked that moment um, of this like commiseration with this person, just nonverbal. He was checking on me. I was checking on him. You know, I smiled at him. Maybe it made his day a little better. I don't know. You know, made my day better. (laughs) So that's something I noticed. Um, And then one other thing I want to say before I ask you the same kind of question um, is like, or we can talk about it more or whatever, but Something I had, I thought this morning is like, (laughs) I could talk, like, if you ask this kind of a question, like, where are you in and what's going on for you? I could talk about like endless stuff in the past, like things that have happened recently, like a lot of things have happened recently. And, and then things in the future that I'm like planning on or trying to get to, or like, don't know how they're going to work out, (laughs) you know, all these different things. But if I shed the narrative of what's happened, what's led me here and where I'm going after this, I'm just here. And here is actually a pretty good place to be. And so I've just been reflecting on that and how that can be super powerful, actually. 
yeah here seems to be a pretty good place to be just in the morning in this house yeah drinking tea yeah drinking tea yeah green tea yeah i had matcha again this morning from teal actually teal has all the like eccentric goodies all the <laughs> all the like um dressings or misos or like mm -hmm. the things that make other things taste really special mm -hmm. she always seems to have like a bucket of those <laughs> with her <laughs> at all times <laughs> yeah jimmy togarashi um furukake you know miso good soy sauce all that stuff yeah I we grew that. up going teal's my sister for people who don't know um we grew up going to asian markets because there was a bunch of lincoln nebraska where we grew up as a relocation community for refugees so the bunch of cambodian and lao and thai and chinese markets and stuff and so we always go there and just kind of got addicted to chinese and thai and vietnamese stuff i love that yeah which is funny i did not yeah. know that about lincoln you wouldn't expect it right but yeah it's yeah yeah so does that bring up any stuff for you where you where are mm -hmm. you i am at home um in edwards i can definitely feel that transition from summer to autumn which i always feel the most balanced at this time of year um but yeah, all the, the plants started changing. That's the big thing I've been noticing. Like all the kind of autumn wildflowers are popping up. Um, I also feel pretty present, pretty in the here, excited to be having this conversation with you. I've been navigating a lot of um, regarding traditional Chinese medicine, I guess. Yeah, just a lot of heat imbalance and that excitability and anxiety and kind of swinging emotionally back and forth. And so this last week I really was focusing on cooling my system, but it's been raining a lot this summer here, which is not usually how it is because we're almost, you know, in that high Alpine desert kind of climate here. It's like, alpine subalpine and high alpine desert but it always feels so hot <laughs> to me in the summer but um yeah it's it's been raining it's cooling down just feels really good i love it here <laughs> yeah sounds nice i wish it would rain here it's rained like once in the last month and a half or something basically did did the Oregon and Portland area get a lot of snow this year, like the rest of the West Coast, or how does it work? Yeah, yeah, okay. they did. I think that yeah, the mountains certainly, yeah, mm -hmm. yeah. It was a really snowy, wet winter for the West Coast. Yeah. Um, okay. 
Do you have any other questions for me? <laughs> I'm like moving things forward. <laughs> I don't know. Have you moved into your place yet or? Yeah, I think finally settling in to um, a new space, but also just I've been in this huge transition professionally and 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 our home transition. So mm. yeah, I think that that's what's kind of upset my my physical system. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But it's good. Change is good. Shall we talk a little bit about healing? Yeah, I guess that was the topic today. Yeah. So, yeah, let's let's go for it. <clears throat> okay. Great. I think my first thought is like what does healing mean to you? We can just open it up. What does it mean to me? Like the word healing has origins, but going through our own individual healing processes, what comes up around that word? Um, the first word that comes up to me is complexity. Um, I think healing is very complex. And then the second word is maybe awareness because healing requires a certain level of awareness of un of unwellness and wellness, you, you know. Um yeah. And then it's also like I start to think about identity. You know, it's so so you can start to see the complexity here. Um healing is a process <laughs> as well. Um it's something you do that is uh is not necessarily even a beginning and a middle and an end i mean i think that like the linear linearity of time as it is seen you know when we try to consider what lives look like and stuff like that is often kind of confounded when you start to think about something as complex as healing because healing often involves more of a recursive turning back on things and then moving forward and then turning back again and then meeting something that you thought you'd left behind long ago whether it's a person or a feeling or a you know and it's so it's beautiful as well I think beautiful is something i would use to describe the word healing mm -hmm. beautiful complexity i love that yeah yeah it is fluid when i think of the word healing like its origin meaning to make whole a lot comes up around that because like what is wholeness you yeah know? and this idea of balance like as something we're trying to achieve all the time and ultimately balance is like a momentary thing. It's temporary. It happens, but then it stops, <laughs> goes away. And to heal, you kind of have to be in this fluid relationship with yourself, your body, your relationships, your environment. And that involves some courage to just be looking all the time and seeing things as they are, seeing yourself as you are. So what almost like everything comes back to for me is this idea that 
living life in a place of being in relationship to your environment, other people, yourself, your body versus control versus being in a in a control dance with everything around you and within you. That's how I've come to relate to healing. It's very watery. And is healing ever like fully possible? You know, <laughs> I think like what yeah. you said, it's a process. Yeah. yeah. And it involves these recursive turns. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and then, it, I mean, it also depends on what type, like, are you talking about healing a physical wound or like an emotional wound or a spiritual type? wound and sometimes yeah. it can be all three you know mm-hmm. um, yeah i kind of think they're all connected all the time oh, sure. definitely there's different levels too i mean if you get like a scrape i mean that's a pretty physical level of healing um but then it can also be modulated by the body's capacity to actually heal physically cold wounds um like some somebody gets a scrape and they get a staph infection mm-hmm. that becomes a much bigger problem and then they get methicillin resistant staphylococcus or you know MRSA and then it becomes a really big problem and the same other person next to them was in the same environment they got the same scrape and they don't get MRSA you know so that it does that's the complexity there dimensionalities of it what's coming up for me around that is this like very complex idea in Vedic philosophy, Ayurveda yoga of karma. (laughs) Uh Like one of the questions I get a lot from people that I definitely do not have an answer to. And I'm skeptical of is like, is this my karma to get the staph infection from the scrape? Right. Is like, is like the cancer, my karma there's teachings in yoga that, that that would say yes that's something that's randomly coming up in my head around healing yeah i think i think your point about the karma is well taken and and also the industry you know perspective on it all there's a lot of turbulence in thought and in emotionality and like um there's a lot there's a lack of clarity in general i feel like in these times and so, cause there's so much inputs and so little space to digest and ruminate. And then sometimes there's too much digestion and rumination and, and so on. But, um, I was just thinking like in terms of karma, it's like, well, okay. So if you are fated to get some kind of an illness, then what kind of karmic energy is being released by having it? And are you just a victim in that process or are you allowing that process to open this ability to change something about yourself like i've been studying this extremely difficult to understand for me concept called the six conformations in chinese medicine and um the first layer of the body is called the tyene and so um when you get a cold um or some kind of external pernicious influence like heat or cold or dampness um or dryness, um, it often invades that first layer, which is can can be kind of biomedically seen as like the immune system. Mm. 
so there's like, yeah, you could say that there's a karmic connection to getting like some kind of severe sickness where it goes through the Taiyong and it enters into a deeper layer, layer such as the Xiaoyang or the Yangming, which are the two layers below the Taiyong. These are also jargony terms. I don't expect anyone to like remember them, but because <laughs> um, there's there's three t- times two, so there's six of these jargony terms. But um, the exterior of the body is supposed to be kind of a something that opens and closes as necessary. And so, if it's letting in too much, you could say, "Well, that's that's a karmic thing, maybe." But you could also say. Maybe there's something in your construct that's allowing, that's not allowing you to close off from certain things. Mm. That makes sense. Mm-hmm. Or in terms of heat, it's not allowing the heat that you've absorbed from your environment to be properly released back into the environment. And so that makes it more subtle than just saying, like, you're fated to have this happen or something. Yeah, that's interesting. I wonder how much the, um, what are those called? The layers in Chinese medicine? The six conformations. Okay. Yeah, because there's the seven datus in Ayurveda, which is a similar idea, oh. like the way that a illness or imbalance penetrates your system. I wonder how yeah. closely aligned they are. I'm sure they're um, close. Yeah. Yeah, there's a lot of relationship there between TCM and Ayurveda. And what also comes up for me, because I, have a history of skin cancer. So I thought a lot about my skin, mm. um, but like the skin is kind of amazing, but in, in embryo, your skin and your brain tissue develop from the same material. Um, so there's this distinct relationship between your mind and your skin. Well, that's some, something coming up. Oh, that's interesting. I didn't know that. It's like our breath, our skin, our senses, I suppose, are like the spaces of the body where we're like in between the external and the internal. But it is this pretty fundamental layer. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, yeah. And it's not just a physical loppy thing. It's like something that transpires or respires and does a lot of interactivity with the environment. Yeah. What was our next point? I don't have them um, in front of me. You do. Oh, yeah, I do. What's so we we're going to talk about movement in general because you're a movement yes. artist. I mean, if I can say yeah, that. Definitely. How do we, what's movement's role in healing and how do we each like to move through that? Yeah. Recently, I've seen quite a bit of native dancing, just living where I live and having spent a decent amount of time in Colorado, New Mexico, Wyoming. Um, But recently, I've been seeing a lot of um, hoop dancing. And I've never I had never really like encountered the hoop dancing, which seems like it's just a profound dance practice because of all the like animal forms that make their way through it. I think. It's one of the more um, accessible as an as an audience member or like someone who's witnessing it. I feel like it just takes me into this world even more than some of the other native dances I've seen. So 
lately I've been like really excited about just watching and uh, witnessing that. Um, but movement for me is the only place where, or sort of embodiment practice, somatic practices are the only place where, like you mentioned, I feel like I have the spaciousness to assimilate, digest, and metabolize my experiences. Hmm. Like it's sort of that place of digestion. Um, oh. What does that look like? I mean, I do really love yoga practice. <laughs> um, so that's one way. Um, but in terms of like, in terms of the most healing form of movement, improvisation is where I really make the most discoveries. Um, I think there's something really incredible about just letting yourself saying yes to your impulses and almost being surprised by what comes up. So I would say improvisation is central to how I move. And maybe it's so important because I do come from like a controlled dance background, you know, and I'm someone who struggles with control for sure. But improvisation is that place where I'm still working on letting go of control in improvisation, <laughs> um, oh. like almost like untraining, <laughs> untraining all the, the classical dance from my body, which I really don't know if I can do in this lifetime, actually. Oh, so you were, um, you, you trained as in classical dance stuff from a young age. Yeah. Right? And how, for how long? I've been you know, training us in classical Western dance. So ballet, contemporary, modern, but primarily ballet. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Well, what are your thoughts? I remember you talking and you're like, when I film myself doing improvisational stuff, you're like, I get all sticky and then I get stuck. Mm. Sticky and stuck. You're saying, I remember you said that. I think you said that. You know what? I think actually oh yes right so um maybe it wasn't no no you're correct so what i was speaking to is that i'm not really dancing for an audience at this phase in my dance life uh, um okay. so like because during graduate school one of the big questions that was coming up was uh you know who's your audience oh. and i don't really <laughs> i still don't really know so improvising for an audience is is sticky and the oh. camera is kind of the same mm -hmm. even even with the camera in the room or outside you know mm -hmm. it's i don't feel as free if mm -hmm. there's no audience i can feel really spacious and free and i think that's part of decolonizing my own body as a as a student of dance and as a classically trained dancer, you know, who is in a process of trying to untangle that from my body. So I'm just, I'm in an interesting place with that right now. But that's why I started creating these sonic dance practices where I could mm -hmm. share some of the ideas with others, just audio so that 
other people also could experience maybe the power of improvisation on their own in their own space privately. And there's really no, there is no audience, you know, who's to say that audience makes art. And that's one of the big curiosities for me. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> there's been many times um, where I've, I have like a, different flutes over the years and uh i'll go play them in places where there's no other people around and i don't record them yeah say more like i had a couple different branch flutes they're made out of a branch i love it (laughs) (laughs) Um, does anybody know about this i don't know i don't really put it on the internet internet. But, I, you know, I go into a quiet space next to a spring or something and I'll play a little song. Um, I've got a metal flute now and I was thinking about getting a shun, which is like an ocarina. Mm-hmm. But it's Chinese. It looks like a little pebble and it has a really great calm tone. And so I was thinking about getting one of those. But, you know, that's just to underline your comments about performance and audience and stuff like that. I think that there's something pretty special when you're not doing something for an audience, but still doing it anyway. Mm-hmm. How to not be self-conscious, you know, is an important practice. That for me, like when I'm being observed, you know, it's different. And I think that that's an interesting aspect of my own self-consciousness and need to be seen a certain way which I think is part of like this, this perspective of um, not being good enough for something or mm-hmm. being a perfectionist. Yeah. For me, I movement and healing has been a huge thing for me. Um, I think I did it unintentionally. Um, I think I just did it instinctually. And my movement is like, caveman like mm-hmm. <laughs> it isn't it's just walking generally <laughs> or running um but i've been crossing a lot of fence lines for this job that i've been working recently um and sometimes the fence lines were like five and a half feet tall and they're like eight strands of barbed wire which is just absurd like it was a bison fence so it was really burly And so trying to cross this barbed wire fence without getting your clothing snagged or falling on it and getting really injured with like a backpack on, you know, in rough terrain, often on a hillside where the fence is kind of bending one way or the other was a really interesting movement practice because um, you can't approach the fence in a stiff way. Um, If you try to like, climb over it like really stiffly and carefully and slowly the fence starts wobbling and all the strands start bending and so the way you have to do it is quickly (laughs) (laughs) which sounds freaky but that's the best way to do it you have to do it with a fluid motion Mm -hmm. so basically with these eight strand ones i usually just like i either found a corner or I went under it because it was almost impossible to cross it. But with other ones, like 
there's a way that you can kind of use your walking momentum to just like kind of kick your legs over mm. and you kind of switch your hands on on the on the post that you're grabbing onto as you're moving your body across and so after a while i started to learn the movements in my body so i didn't have to think about it anymore but it took quite a while to figure that out which might sound kind of silly but <laughs> no that's i mean that's so metaphorical for for me like this idea that yeah when we're doing something hard we have to move from a relaxed space mm -hmm. um, and i think that's true that's it's interesting like in partnering in movement like there are some partnering practices where you have to engage um to become light and then like you have to engage your muscles move from your muscles to become light and then in other practices like um contact improvisation it's all about actually just kind of melting into the other person from that center point of contact where you can just know you can trust the balance of the bodies together but yeah there's there's a lot of metaphor in that i feel like i can picture um i can picture this dance of climbing the barbed wire fence with your flute <laughs> yeah. i'm seeing it's all it's all coming coming through right now <laughs> yeah yeah, it's it's funny. And I just like after a while, another thing I it's like the fence was a weird teacher is like when I tried to kick my leg over, I was like, wow, my hips are really tight. Uh -huh. <laughs> Good Lord, like I always have I'm I'm not the most flexible individual. I'm probably more flexible than the average person nowadays. But like, just naturally, I'm not flexible. And so like trying to like, open my legs up wide enough to go over it was really hard sometimes. Yeah. Um, I'm not flexible either, um, hmm. naturally. And I think that's why I became a skillful dance teacher is because nothing actually came easy to me. You hmm. know, I had, I have a lot of limitations in my joints that made a lot of things more challenging, but sometimes those limitations I think are what helped me be able to articulate Mm -hmm. trying to achieve certain things because I had to work harder for them. Do you feel like when you run, you process and metabolize things? I think so. The, the two hemispheres of the brain is the left and the right. And like the left and also especially the prefrontal cortex is all about reasoning and like abstraction and like the internal voice that we seem to have just kind of constantly going and going and going <laughs> i think everyone has one at least <laughs> i certainly do and it's hard to get it to take a vacation um but i think that when i go for a run it's like especially on trails that are somewhat like technical or something that the left hemisphere really takes a vacation mm. Um, because I don't have the availability of it to like kind of criticize everything that's going on. Like I'm just having to figure out where my foot's going and I don't think about that necessarily. It's more just like a feeling. Yeah. In my thesis work, I was really thinking about like what the difference is between 
embodiment dance and somatics because these are words that are being used a lot. And for me, what's the difference? And I think for me, dance is is like the actual act of like keeping going. So moving quickly, not thinking like moving really intuitively and in relationship. And so there is like a quickening necessary in dance, but it's like, it sounds like it's an essence of running too. Like when you're dancing, you can feel that same kind of feeling of running, Mm -hmm. Um, but it's continuous and versus like yoga where there's resistance and stillness and stopping, um, for example, but and that that is like really central to improvisation too, just kind of moving out of the default mode network of the brain. Speaking of a little to the neuroscience you mentioned, but as soon as you start to improvise, the default mode network of your brain kind of shuts down and you're actively more in the, the presence, the novelty aspects of your brain. So that's really interesting to me with movement and why I think it's so healing because you can, and I'm, you know, I'm sure there's a lot of science around this, but like you can actually start to change your cellular DNA. You know, you can actually start to shift on a cellular level when you're improvising. Yeah. That all of that is very exciting to me. Yeah. It's I'm right there with you. And I think it's crazy that it kind of takes like it allows um, some of these other systems to kind of take over in some way. There's like a lot of turbulence that's created by the narrative brain. (laughs) (laughs) Mm, Belief becomes biology. Oh, that's a cool phrase. Where'd you, did you make that up? It's it's not mine. It's Peter Levine, you know, somatic experiencing the trauma the infamous trauma uh, psychologist. So what is somatic experiencing in somatic therapy? Like, I don't really know. There seems common. This is like such an important question. Well, somatics is used kind of as a word to encase a lot of things right now, but um, there are different like formal somatic practices that have been developed over time. Like, so in dance, there are a number of, somatic thinkers um a lot of them were and still are working at the intersection of like modern dance and healing practices but then there's somatic experiencing which is peter levine um is a he wrote um i'm i might get the title wrong but taming taming the tiger within that's a really famous book on trauma but is one of the most like respected, more contemporary psychologists when it comes to trauma. And um, he kind of looked at the human being in relationship to how animals respond to trauma and did that kind of Darwinian critique and research, but ultimately created this practice called somatic experiencing. And then it's been further developed by a lot of other psychologists, psychotherapists, healers, And it's a very effective system for healing trauma. And really at the basis of of it is the belief that trauma is an inherent part of life and that it's something we're going to experience. We can't escape it. And that your body knows exactly what to do if you kind of allow it to 
but we're so like what you're saying with the narratives, like we're so attached to feeling pleasure and avoiding pain. Um, so somatic experiencing therapists really are really skillful, I think, in the way that they, okay, so have you heard of um, Resma Menikin, mm-hmm. who wrote My Grandmother's Hands? So he's a great example of a somatic experiencing therapist, and his work is specifically around race. So he he uses the somatic experiencing technologies to work with groups around race and racism. That's an incredible book. Um, yeah. So people are using though, like in the wellness world, I think as soon as the pandemic hit and the Black Lives Matter movement became more of a conversation on the social medias, because obviously that wasn't the beginning of it, but um, it sort of tore down the yoga scene. And I know in Denver, I watched it watch the whole situation sort of prune the the yoga community in Colorado, which is pretty um which is pretty conscious overall. Like I would say it's a very, you know, yoga's been in Boulder and the front range for so long. So there's a lot of great, great people who teach in this area, um, really amazing, skillful practitioners. But Um, I think people who didn't know how there's a lot of wellness practitioners who weren't sure how they could continue as yoga teachers in the face of this dialogue around cultural appropriation. And so then transformed their practices into somatics and embodiment instead of just honoring that they were actually still teaching yoga. Um, Mm -hmm. And I, I guess I have a lot to say on that because, um, but I don't know if, if we want to go there, <laughs> but <laughs> yeah, I think, I guess one thing I'll say is that when I study contemporary psychology, as I continue to do and having a pretty strong, like background in Vedic thought, Vedic science and philosophy, I can see, and Buddhist thought as well, I can see how everything ties back. (laughs) Everything is rooted in in Vedic thought, as far as like even Western contemporary psychology. So I wonder, like, why not just honor the traditions you're teaching from, rather than try to form them into something else, like somatics or embodiment? Yeah, that makes sense. So I'm choosing to really just honor the yogic tradition and Buddhist traditions that I come from and, and the Taoist tradition too, that I've been taught. And instead of trying to hide the fact that I'm a white practitioner who has benefited, benefited tremendously from these teachings, I'm just going to honor them. Well, I mean, I was just talking about this with some friends last night or with my friends that I'm staying with here over dinner is like, uh, um, it's like, we're all people here in the US from other places. And so we don't have 300, 500, 1000, 2000 years of history. 
here as people who have come from elsewhere and had to sort of reconfigure and rediscover. Um, and that's okay. And what that means is like, we're trying to build a new perspective of human nature and so on based on our shared human heritage. Yeah. Every American is the child for the most part, unless you're native, right. Of an Mm. immigrant. And I think that we've, this actually in graduate school, we had a class on race that was really profound where the teacher expressed that she felt um, sad for white people because we didn't have any relationship or many of us don't feel a strong bond to our cultural practices or the origins of the practices of where we come from and even our ancestors in general. And it really struck me because I was, I was like, yeah, that's, that's where the medicine really is. And the healing for me is like, the more I can touch into where I come from and all the complexity around that. And that's not easy to do because that means involving looking at a lot of pain, a lot of assimilation, a lot of abuse, right? Pretty much I would think for every white American, they might experience some of that duality. So, um, so like the more I lean into that and really look at that through the lens of compassion and that, I mean, that really has been the medicine for me lately. Um, yeah. It's also like, you know, that's, that's really, if you want to talk about healing, (laughs) part of healing is like kind of understanding what is necessary to have in place to be healthy. Mm-hmm. So there's that actually kind of brings us to the next question. What does it mean to be healthy? Yeah, uh, this is a big one for me. I've been thinking about this a lot um, because uh, about five years ago, I had this run in with melanoma and had multiple multiple surgeries and through those surgeries my body became even more out of balance um like from anesthesia from having lymph removed from having massive surgeries on my skin and um wow and i just was and i'm sure and this is wasn't even as serious of a case of cancer as many people experience but Like there was just so much fear, like in the few years after that, it's like, I was just feeling this constant echo of fear and over time through the healing process. And I'm in a, in a much better place now. One of like my mantras has become like the healing is happening. Um, just, I've just been trusting and practicing, trusting my body to know what to do instead of being in this state of fear, because I. I feel like I need to create the container for my body to heal and trust that it knows what to do instead of, you know, be living in this kind of cellular state of, of bracing. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, wow. so healthy to me now means something very different than it used to mean. And yeah. that it means acceptance of where I'm at right now instead of 
something that I'm trying to attain. Yeah, I feel like I haven't had something like that necessarily. So when I think of what it means to be healthy, I feel like my answer is kind of pale in comparison. <laughs> no, it's not. I So, well, I had a note written down that for me, the perspective of what it means to be healthy is to be honest. Hmm. Um, there's a phrase that called, uh, there's a this phrase self-deception. And I think that we all do it we don't have time to be honest with ourselves or money. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> we don't have the time or the money, you know, the resources. Yes. Yeah. To be honest. And then there's this fear too, of like tapping into something that seems deep and forgotten about that can end up being a process that doesn't, so something else I wrote is like doing the easy thing is usually the habitual thing. Doing the thing that there's a lot of resistance towards is often the thing that will shock you out of whatever rut you've been in. Oh my gosh, I love this. Yeah, I, this actually relates to, to, for me with melanoma, I would never suggest it relates to everybody who's had any form of cancer or anything like that. Although I think a lot of people would, would say that their cancer had a spiritual dimension for them. You know, a lot of people would say that, mm. but what I learned through Chinese medicine, um, when I was going through that, cause the, uh, the cancer was on my liver meridian. Uh, so looking at, um, my relationship to anger, my relationship to, my liver <laughs> to metabolizing things, metabolizing hormones, metabolizing information, metabolizing nutrients. When I went down that rabbit hole, I do feel like I further understood um, the melanoma and the emotional component of it. And if you were in self-deception, right? Like if you didn't want to be honest with yourself about um the fact that you even have this thing, right? Like that's in the beginning of it, right? I was totally, for example, like avoiding being honest about having this thing that was making me uncomfortable or whatever. So yeah, I think they do relate. Yeah. So it sounds like you've had a personal experience of that. In other words, I just love that. I love that idea that healing is being honest. Yeah. I mean, how much honesty, I mean, honesty, I mean, oh, it's, it's a, it's complex again, but it's just like, cause you don't want to be like too focused on some problem that you may have, you know, but at the same time, I was explaining something to my mom and my uncle recently. And Anna, actually, we we're all sitting by this pond on this land that was going to be developed um and sold to five or six million dollar homes and instead the nez purse tribe was able to buy it back mm -hmm. um and they call it um Saksapot, which means boulder place because there's boulders scattered all over this area along a river near a pond and it's a really special place. And we were sitting there looking in the mountains and I was talking about how there's um, certain physical 
regions in the body where emotions reside that cannot be accessed by thought alone. Um, and so what I'm saying about the honest thing is it's a process of discovering where those things lie. And sometimes it's not just a, a thought process. It's a physical process of discovering those things. Um, and it's, they're linked as, as we know, but just to explain it, it's like people say, well, body and mind is linked and that's kind of, okay, well, let's explain that a little bit. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. There are physical systems and physical realities in the body, as you were saying with this, um, somatics idea that are created by emotional states. Like there's Bob Quinn, Dr. Bob Quinn here in Portland as acupuncturist, body worker guy. He said in a podcast, um, there is a chemical reality to our emotions um, and our mind states and so forth. And it doesn't just occur in the brain. Mm-hmm. No, it's in the body. Right. So, yeah. Yeah. So, so the, the honesty is about unfolding the implications of that, what you're doing to yourself through your conscious slash unconscious decisions because oftentimes it's unconscious too it comes down to like what we want we're so afraid of what we want what do you want that you're afraid of wanting would be like the ultimate question Mm -hmm. and that's that self-deception or um honesty yeah i think that asking ourselves what we want that we're afraid of wanting is pretty good pretty good place to (laughs) to end yeah unless you have any other questions ruminations well thank you yeah thank you